you hold in your ears a podcast that contains such power that it will hopefully amiably pass the next half an hour or so as I, Toby Haydock, accentuate the positive about a Doctor Who story chosen by a friend of mine and see if I can guess their nominated best bit. My name is David Quantic. I'm a comedy writer, mostly. I write other things and I do broadcasting. The story I am nominating is Genesis of the Daleks. Well, welcome everybody. It's time for episode five of Genesis of the Daleks. And I'm going to try not to say the C word. That is, of course, cassette. Uh, because I feel I have alienated anybody whose childhood was not spent uh, with a my with their very first. They were called personal in stereos in my day. That's because the music in the headphones went into your ears and didn't leak out to the annoyance of everybody else in the train carriage slash tram slash bus slash library slash shop slash everywhere. Uh, uh, and my very first personal story because in those days tapes were very expensive even the batteries actually were very very expensive i remember my first one i mean you'd, you'd play a couple of sides and it would eat the batteries up because i got a cheap one you see and if you buy cheap anyway let's not get into that uh but yeah it, uh, i'm not not gonna say the c word i am instead gonna say the q word quantic david uh writer of so much brilliant uh satirical comedy that i feasted upon uh, particularly when I was a student and uh, developing as a comic myself. I had no idea I was going to end up uh, being a comedian, uh, but his name was always a welcome one on the credits and his voice uh, a unique and witty one. Um, and now he's doing my podcast, extolling the virtues of the G word, genesis of the D word, the Daleks. So without any more words or indeed letters, uh, let's press play or select or whatever it is you would like to do i am paused betwixt episodes four and five on the dvd of genesis of the daleks and i am going to play press play in three two one uh so here we are um i so yeah i think i taped this off the telly a couple of times because it was repeated was repeated in 1991 something like that and then it was repeated Later, it was repeated when I was at university, and it was repeated when I was at uh, at home. Ah, uh, yeah. Anyway, you'll know. You can look that up. I'm not here for the stuff you can look up. Um, it's interesting, actually. It's a thing about sort of facts about Doctor Who and stuff like this. Uh, and, and, and when you write an obituary or something, you know, you can make very simple mistakes because the stuff you think you'll check, you, do, you know, the, the stuff that you know everybody knows, you just sort of put as a as a placeholder. Um, and it's the stuff that you have to look up and commit to memory, the, the arcane stuff or the stuff slightly off the beaten track. That's the stuff you sort of tend to lodge. That's how people make simple mistakes on, you know, otherwise, uh, you know, quite detailed and, and well-informed things and why often, you know, when I write an, an obituary, I'll, I'll submit it and then, you know, I'll do a little look down and go, oh, no, I've got that year wrong or whatever because when you're typing, you go, oh, yeah, the year will take care of itself in a bit when I'm checking and then you get sort of blind to it. Uh, anyway, um, but talking of uh, mistakes, I mean, the Doctor does... Yes, you go, oh, brilliant. Oh, 2000, hang on, I thought it was I thought it was 2064. Well, we'll allow that, we'll allow that. Uh, and... And then you go, what, what the, 
and, and, and you suddenly go, hang on, I don't know this one. Are these off-screen adventures? But, you know, when I was first uh, aware of this, you sort of go, oh, well, is that an adventure I don't know? Is that what happens in Power of the Daleks or whatever? Because... Uh, because you knew that was on Vulcan, but but so so I remember listening, thinking I don't think these are any actual, you know, televised adventures. I think interesting because I mentioned the uh, the file last week, and I'm looking at the tape there and going, oh, people would go, oh, you wouldn't have it on a tape now, but of course they can get away with any of this because it's of the attritional war, and they're going back to old technology, although. Actually, they, unless they'd got tapes lying around, they wouldn't suddenly invent tapes if they'd had, you know, m microchips or hard disks or wh whatever the modern things are. <laughs> uh, my my brain is undergoing a war of attrition, only backwards. Um, and I, I, again, I love this idea that uh, Davros, uh, you know, for all his amorality... Um, you know, feasts knowledge as as all great scientists, even those who go off the rails, would do. And so, so, I, I, and I love this that the fact that, that that you know they're they're at pains because he you know looks like the sort of you know the the, the parody of person and Dalek. This this strange you know uh, human Dalek centaur kind of thing. Uh, uh, to actually sort of humanize him in terms of going well he's you know he's interested in conversation he's interested in knowledge he's he's cunning all of those things uh, to, to to make sure we don't lose sight of the fact that no he is not a dalek he is but but he is very plausibly the person that created the daleks lovely gentle dennis chinnery um is there's i've heard it suggested that uh dennis chinnery is the uh his name is the uh uh, is 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 the is is the basis of uh, Doctor Chinnery, the uh, vet for whom everything goes wrong, uh, is the inspiration. That's the word I was looking for. At sober at a quarter to nine in the evening, and the word inspiration was far from my grasp because my brain is atrophying. Um, it will come to you, young people. It will come to you. Uh, Dennis Chinnery was the the inspiration, the name behind Doctor Chinnery uh, in the League of Gentlemen, played by Mark Gatiss. I do not know if that is true, but I throw it there into the mix uh, that at least the, you know Mark Gatiss is a Doctor Who fan, so he probably would not be unaware of Dennis Chinnery, especially as you know this 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 was a Doctor Who that was available to fans when other Doctor Who's weren't. Uh, Oh yes, and here's a here's a, a, a nice scene for for Tom Georgeson as Carvel, who, as I as I think I said last week, last time I was, you know, he's quite a big character in the book, and I'm thinking I don't really remember him from the from the TV version, and then I listened to this, the the Daleks, um, Genesis of the Daleks cassette. Oh, I promised I wouldn't mention it, um, uh, and uh, suddenly he's in it. But he's not on the cast list. Bottom of the cast list is Dennis Chinnery, and the cast is in order of appearance. Um, that's very nice, that cutaway just before he clunks him on the head. Um, but Tom Georgeson does feature. There's a scene coming up with, with Carvel and uh, Garman, which I'll talk about when we get to it, because it has ramifications, and uh, it leads to a fact I've only recently learnt. Um, uh, Michael Wisher is so good casting i believe uh, i've re read that they offered it to roy skelton uh who's uh, 
a, a good actor, but I, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to do what what Wisher has done here, uh, and 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 I, I always think of Wisher as this sort of efficient clipped, whereas whereas uh, Skelton uh, I see as more sort of uh, apt, has more aptitude for the sort of high pitched. Um, on the edge of terror, slightly psychotic, I think. And of course, and, and anyway, um, this is one of the great scenes of Doctor Who. And I remember talking to a, a friend of mine when they were preparing the the documentary for the fiftieth anniversary, and him saying that he showed that, and, and there was it was two, it was had loads of clips from New Who. Uh, and he was trying to get some clips in from from old who, and he showed this to the producers, and they thought it was rubbish. And it did make me think, why did those producers get the job of making the documentary? You have to pitch for stuff now. Why why did the BBC give the job to some people who couldn't read? Oh, I'm not saying that everybody who grew up with modern te television w would this this would communicate to them in the way that it does to people of my generation who's you know see past the the style of production and that sort of thing but this is excellent actually bugger that this is excellent whoever you are and if you can't see that i i, I well i query why why people are making that that got the job making that program if if they don't have a sympathy uh with a large chunk of the source material um and it strikes me as a really odd decision for sort of brand doctor who to go uh, do, do you hate half of the program that we're making have you not even seen uh, yeah well oh, i find that extraordinary anyway i'm supposed to be accentuating the positive but it's an element of modern television that that baffles me that there, there is so many people with actually a passion for doctor who or any other subject um who who are uh, who, who do not um end up making sort of you know or, or discussing or commentating or making programs about that subject and yet there are people with scant knowledge but who are media people who who get to sort of approach a, a, a freshly a subject they have no knowledge of i find that or oh as i say even a dislike for there's nothing wrong with disliking doctor who, but i don't think you should be the doc the doctor who people should give you uh, 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 the reins of a documentary about the program just because you happen to be you know in in uh, you know you have, you happen to drink in the right corner of uh, the ivy. Anyway, uh, I'm getting I'm getting sidetracked by uh, a frustration I have with the way things are these days. And talking through one of the greatest scenes in the whole of Doctor Who just goes to show how annoying uh, 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 things can be if you're not careful. And I'm and and the whole point of this podcast is to is to let all stuff because it doesn't matter. It in the long run. It doesn't matter because this still stands, uh, and and it's interesting, you know, that that thing about what what other people think is 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 not important, um, and there are enough people that will celebrate this throughout time because it is one of the great moments of Doctor Who, and uh, I think will always be watched, and it's and it's and it's just a great summary of what the doctor stands for and what davros stands for and it's a brilliant face-off between two brilliant actors and it's brilliantly written because both of them are given very plausible arguments uh, and of course it's a thematic face-off between you know what the doctor's doing and the doctor has to make you know the doctor's not just doing 
angelic stuff. He's considering the genocide of a species. He's got some very difficult moral choices to make. And Davros uh, has, has, has some choices to make about how to uh, ensure that his species survives. And he's, he's, uh, he's taken some, he's made some pretty uncompromising decisions. And it's embodied in that brilliant, brilliant scene. And the, that power would set me up above the gods. Uh, oh, he's going to be exterminated, Thal. He's going to die in a lot of pain now because, oh, yeah, because the laser beams really hurt. So, yeah, I think he was, the in extras were instructed to go, this, this is just really killing you a lot. Um, uh, and look at the smoke. It's, again, it's just these, you know, the Thal Dome is a couple of corridors in a room. Um, but they've, they've done it well. But if you can hear the fire crackling. But yeah, that power would set me up above the God speech. That was the cliffhanger that I inserted into my backup safety copy. Uh, isn't that the Thal we've just seen killed? I think it is. Uh, <laughs> uh, although they, they do, there are a lot of uh, similarly blonde types. Uh, I bet David Biller is one of them because he was a very blonde uh, extra. They passed away last year, I think, um, who... who you suddenly go if you're on the lookout for him. He's one of the Time Lords uh, technicians in uh, uh, episode 10 of the War Games, the blonde one. Uh, and, and once you've spotted him, he's in the background of the Green Death. You go, oh, yeah, it's that guy. Um, uh, but yes, my false cliffhanger that I inserted was that speech. And I used to play Davros on stage in a sketch show called the Umbrocastable Radio Show. And, uh, I, and whatever Davros was doing, he had a different job every week. He ended up building to a speech that ended in that power would set me up above the gods uh, and you know my face would go red and uh, would, it would always get a round of applause so this is the scene in the cassette where Carvel has lines and I remember going oh he's he's actually in it but it, it took me a, a while to realize because he only says two or three things uh, and you go oh that is why so Tom Georgeson doesn't have a credit so I thought well uh, that'd be interesting because I should tell him at some point if I ever encounter him at signing go because you've not got a credit they might not have realized you're in it which means you're not getting any of the royalties for it and there's no better way to to, to please an actor uh, than to than to tell them uh, that they're uh, uh, they're they're due some uh, repeat payments or whatever but then there was an article very recently in one of the Doctor Who magazine specials saying that actually Tom Georgeson's agent never replied when they sent him for clearances uh so they released it anyway and just didn't put his name on the packaging so i wonder still if to this day tom georgeson uh doesn't know that he's actually featured on the uh, uh on the cassette and because his agent was either negligent or lazy or didn't notice uh uh if if uh, if he's you know due, uh, probably quite a serious accumulation of cash now here's a scene i remember going oh well this isn't this isn't in the cassette and i don't remember it from any of the repeats uh and oh terry walsh is and alan chun's there they both are having a scrap are both in it so basically this is going to be uh a, a protracted fight scene um i mean you know this is entirely unnecessary uh nice corridor sets though and it's a decent fight um and i think it's there to show um that uh garmin uh you know abhors death um it sets him up as the the opposite of uh, of Davros. You know, we will not kill. A stupid waste of life. Um, yeah. So yeah. Okay. It's 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 very it's a it's a very handy 
illustration, but it's uh, it's uh, it, it, we can also you know li live without it. But it's a perfectly well staged scene. Um, and th are they called are they called Sten guns? Those sorts of machine guns with the magazine on the side. Uh, they're, they're always uh, quite fun to play when you're a kid playing war. Yeah, I used to play war. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, now some people try and play war as their uh, as adults. That's that's when you have to worry. Um, again, look at this lighting. Uh, it's just look, and he's waiting in the darkness. And, and I love the little shake that he gives to his hand as well. He's uh, he's a magnificent actor, uh, Michael Wisher. Um, and. Uh, and and the fact that he is, this is what makes him a a a, a great villain uh, is that he, I and again unlike the Daleks who seem to be reactive creatures, do you know what I mean? The Dalek sees a thing and it exterminates. Uh, uh, I mean, I know not always, as I say, they're they're very cunning in the writing of of David Whittaker, um, and and it's because without Davros. They can, you know, they they can be cunning themselves, but then they become much more ciphers to him after this. Um, but uh, but this is so sort of fresh to have, and I love the fact he doesn't even tell Nida, and it's good because you you never quite. I mean, Nida is loyal to the end, but he he tests him, doesn't he? And in a way, that's very very you know commendable in a way is that Davros uh, you know Nida has many reasons to sort of go I'm backing out this chum and he doesn't because uh, he he believes fervently in Davros's mission uh and that's a, that's a fantastic mask that he has look at Tom Baker I mean I, I love this outfit that he has um he's got a cravat and a scarf and I really like that jacket with the patches um, oh, and so he's just about to, aren't they about to find a change. This is the really odd bit where they go halfway through. And they go, yes, yeah, Sarah, I think you need a change of gear. OK, then I'll change into these combat pants, uh, which is uh, which is pretty much. Is that what happens now? I'm pretty certain they. Uh, yeah, but I do like I do like that outfit for Sarah, the combat, the combat outfit for Sarah that she then uh, wears in the uh, in the next few episodes and the, indeed the next adventure. Um, explosives so uh, this is building up to because while all the politicking is going on the, the Doctor hasn't now has I mean he doesn't see Davros again does he oh I remember this the Time Lord gave me three options only one of them still open genocide that seems such a grown up thing to say and I remember when the Doctor was charged with genocide in uh, at the end of Trial of a Time Lord episode uh, uh, 12 I remember saying to my brother, the doctor's been charged with genocide because genocide is, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a terrible thing. But it, in, in terms of in a drama, when you're a kid, it's such a, it's such a, it's, it's a word that, you know, makes what they're doing, you know, the stakes seem, you know, extremely high. And I remember saying to my mum, what does genocide mean? He said, it's, you know, it's the destruction of a whole species. And you go, I God, it doesn't get much worse than that. And it's the fact that it's the Doctor that's saying it. Um, and he's saying, you know, the Time Lord gave me three options and, and this is now the last resort. Um, you know, he's not doing this 
glibly and yet he's the you know sometimes the doc this doctor is very glib and breezy but uh you know tom baker has the requisite um dramatic heft to really sell the idea that the doctor's doing something with grim determination that uh, he's got like, no no choice to do now carvel of course as well as having had lines that he doesn't get credit for this is his last episode well I don't know when we get our last glimpse of him, but he's not in episode six. So I don't know if he goes to the loo. <laughs> and then then when he comes back, everyone's been killed. He goes, I'm better, you better go away now. Um, <laughs> there he is. Uh, and, and of course, you know, they do their best here, but, you know, the, ho the whole of, uh, the, I mean, I, I mean, the, the Dalek project better work because the entire staff of the bunker are middle-aged guys. So uh, I, I don't know what Garmin's great plan is, um, un unless, as I say, other members of the elite are sequestered elsewhere. Um, of, of course, this happens in so much of this television where, you know, a, a group of five or six people is supposed to represent a whole movement slash society slash planet. Um, and I think we just get I think we just get used to that. It's the grammar of watching these sorts of shows at this these sorts of times. Um, look at that tapping finger. I think that's a that's a great, great thing. Uh, and it's and it really ups the tension because you sort of go, well, I don't really trust Davros. But but also because I think Dennis Chinnery's done such a good job of being such a sort of gentle, you know, hero type. You don't quite believe that that those guys aren't going to win because Doctor Who stories are are one. You know, that's that's the other thing that's extraordinary about this story is that um, it, 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 you know, actually the Doctor's mission is really doomed to failure. And I know he sort of says, oh, he's, a, you know, he's, he's affected it by, you know, 50,000 years or whatever it is he says, but he says it's no more than, no more than that, you know. Um, but, 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 but he doesn't, you know, he has no material impact. He doesn't do what the Time Lords wanted him to do because for the rest of the series, uh, you know, and and forevermore, the Daleks are still doing what they do and killing as they kill and all of that. Um, but he's, yeah, he's now he's going to say, I want to, I want to speak to the whole elite, is it? The f a, f a full meeting of the elite and it's all it's all blokes <laughs> it's uh i mean if, if anything if anything dates it it's that never mind uh the odd haircut or the odd uh pair of flared trousers um it's extraordinary isn't it that um and that didn't seem particularly strange you know when i was younger but you look at it now and go did nobody go well should, should we have a couple of women you know what i mean should we um, but what is normal to you seems normal until you take a step away from it, you know. Uh, sometimes it takes, you know, it just takes somebody else to come in and go, um, should we be doing this? And sometimes it just takes you to look back 10 years later and go, oh, that seems so normal. And now it doesn't. They have lost. Uh, he does that so well. Uh, look at uh, this, this. I mean, this this is, you know, really compromised in terms of production. In fact, the Dalek ground to a halt there. But that that sky, instead of just having the white studio as the backdrop, um, I think the light glistening off the Daleks and uh, look at that. 
and that's they're, they're almost silhouettes there um absolutely uh, terrific and i suppose one of the things the doctor set back in the development of the daleks is that uh, uh the daleks you know uh, when he first meets them in the first Dalek story, he can only move off static electricity. So maybe that's one of the things he uh, he set back. Uh, so he's created his own timeline. I don't really know how timelines work. I don't really care um, uh, because you can... I, I, I'm not that bothered about sort of rationalising things too much. All the things that happen in the series happen and they work now if there's something that out and out contradicts something it's a bit it's it it is a bit annoying but i don't see a need to sort of tie this up with how they fit this fits into the hartnell stories or the Troughton stories or whatever because i'm because they they stand on their own two feet as what they are and I, you know if if carvel is the emperor dalek because he went out for a piss and fell into some pistons i don't you know you could make that case but I, it's an awful waste of energy uh, <laughs> but good luck if that's what you want to do um it's, that's just tom baker in a bit of plastic and uh, some chopped liver or whatever uh and uh, you know an aptitude for um you know guttural noises and 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 facial expressions that really sell all of that stuff uh good for him uh so uh oh garmin garmin's gonna go sink down to the but yeah he's so he actually highest on the credits when he has the least to do there we go doesn't matter um so uh that is the end of episode five of genesis of the daleks i'm gonna have to choose my favorite thing and i'm sorry i sort of got into one i'm not a i think it's worth clarifying i am not one of those well i try very hard things annoy me um uh and i get frustrated I get frustrated with television, particularly modern television, when people don't seem to care. It's it's such a it's such a it's a medium that so many people want to be involved with, and so many creative people want to have a go at. When I when I encounter people who are who get the opportunity to do it, who, who don't work really hard at it, because when you're a freelancer. Uh, and a creative person you work really hard all of the time it always amuses me when i email somebody at the bbc at five thirty-one, and you get an email back saying i am out of the office till nine o'clock and you go god i i answer emails at one o'clock in the morning but you know they've they, uh, i understand it's perfectly it's perfectly acceptable because you only get paid for the hours that you do but um that's you know well done you because there's a lot of people making programs and and endeavors that aren't paid for the hours that they do at all let alone uh, uh but anyway anyway i think the reason that 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 story of the of the people making the documentary about doc 2 to celebrate its 50th anniversary being so dismissive of some some key elements of the show i just thought when there's so many people and i'm not including myself in that there's so many people out there who can make television programs who would be really sympathetic to that material seems really bizarre and i i do resent as i say nothing not not nothing i'm not bringing me into this equation at all um because i'm i very much you know i just I'm, i keep very productive i throw stuff at the wall and i hope that some of it sticks and i certainly believe you have to make your own opportunities and you have to make your own work and there's nothing worse actually than on facebook uh, seeing friends of mine who are either creatives or you know doctor who fan creators or, or comedians who keep looking at what other people are doing and slagging off and going and you know, there's a t sense of oh why isn't that me doing that and i think just do what you do don't worry about what other people do um 
And I think you have to do that, or otherwise that way madness lies. Or you look a little bit bitter, and that's not a good look. And it's not a good thing to succumb to, because um, how we are uh, is 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 sorry to get Zen like this is a state of mind. And and I've got as many frustrations as anybody. But to to let the the one's ambition or bitterness or missed opportunities consumes one goes against. Uh, uh, you know any creativity you might then want to exhibit and the other thing is people might be doing stuff that you don't like but they've also had to work very hard and they are doing the best with the opportunities that they get so if there's a comedian that you don't like they haven't nicked your spot they're just doing what they do and if you don't think they're any good that's fine that's, that doesn't matter but they're, they're what the buyer wants they're what the market wants they're what the the you know whoever's working and making those programs at the moment wants and if it's not you you have to give people a reason to make it you but 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 that is not the same as I think people sort of. I, there's an industry of of television looking at itself disdainfully, and I think it's a really odd business to be in, to be looking to to treat the medium that you work in that so many people are desperate to work in and love and have an aptitude for, um, and be slightly dismissive of it because you think, well, what are you doing? You're wasting your time and mine, which is why. You know the airwaves are filled with so much sort of stuff that you think, why? Did, why? Did, this is this is clearly people who can't be asked and don't care. And I find that really bizarre of a medium that could be fueled on love and creativity is is often fueled by people doing something they don't particularly want to do or care about. And I don't quite know how we've got into that position. And I that's an anathema to me. And uh, I just got carried away talking about that because. And I and what did I do? I let it overshadow the absolute glee. Uh, I should have been exhibiting talking about the brilliant acting and the brilliant writing of the Davros Doctor Who scene of, you know, if, if you had uh, a file and it could destroy a life, would you use it? And Davros actually giving it genuine consideration and then getting carried away in the whole scenario and revealing himself, to, you know, to be... To, to, to be somebody who would exercise that power uh, and getting drunk on that power but then it being shown that actually that's a weakness because uh, the doctor then grabs onto him uh, uh, and and manages you know uh, now had the doctor had the doctor planted that seed because he knew that Davros would drop his guard I don't think so that's the doctor reacting to that situation and then of course when it looks like the doctor's got the upper excuse the pun hand uh and, and he does the thing with the self, uh, the the life support system, and I, I think the way that uh, that Michael Wisher acts, that sort of uh, slow sort of atrophying of of Davros's faculties, is really really good. And and the doctor saying, next time I press that button, it stays pressed. I mean, or I, I could quote the whole thing. I, I might even uh, and. Uh, uh, and then just as it looks like this order cannot be, then uh, Nida comes in and hits him on the head. Uh, and doesn't he say, what do you want done with this? <laughs> so it's another great Nida line. Um, oh, so that's what I should have been doing. I shouldn't have allowed myself to be consumed by fury and bitterness. Um because that's the other that's the Davros side of the argument that's what Davros does doesn't he he gets consumed by his his hatred um and that's that's the that's the two sides of that argument and that's not to say you shouldn't feel angry at things you think are wrong but it's how you it's how you then counter that do you do you butt against it with with anger or do you do you do the riposte by living the opposite um 
God, I th- I worry that I'm absolutely full of. <laughs> uh, uh, but oh, look, I just do the best I can. Um, my favourite thing about that episode is obviously, uh, the scene between Davros and the Doctor. The that power would set me up above the sea- God scene. One of the great scenes of Doctor Who. Uh, and if I were to make a documentary about Doctor Who, I would showcase that and I would have people singing its praises from arsehole to breakfast time because that would be easy to do and the people would be easy to find. Right. What does... Uh, uh, what does David Quantic have to say about episode five of... Genesis of the Daleks. Number five. Well, the best speech in the history of Doctor Who. Do I have the right? Simply touch one wire against the other and that's it. The Daleks cease to exist. Hundreds of millions of people. Thousands of generations can live without fear. In peace and never even know the word Dalek. It was the moment when Doctor Who became a grown-up show. I can remember seeing it at the time. Suddenly it was... Wow, a moral dimension. Normally, John Pertwee used to just hit people. People would run away. William Hartnell would happily destroy entire planets without a second thought. But Tom Baker was a moral philosopher. It's interesting that in this scene, Sarah Jane does the arguing. She's the one who says, no, kill them, because you think Harry would be the one to do that. He's in the Navy. He's quite used to not making moral decisions and killing lots of people, possibly. But no, it's it's one of the best Doctor Who moments. And the fact that it's two wires makes it even better. It's not an enormous sci-fi device. It's a man in a scarf with two wires. Um, now, don't get me wrong. Unless I was talking about Tom Georgeson nipping out for a wee uh, and missed that, I'm, I'm pretty certain that that two wires speech is next week. And so I think, I call upon the arbitration gods, I think it's an absolutely... Uh, David is absolutely entitled to pick it but I think I'd got my eye on picking that myself for next week and as he's picked it for the wrong episode I think I'm still entitled to pick it next week now that doesn't harm him because it means that the thing I've chosen for this week uh, isn't the same as the thing he's chosen for this week but I I think that's slightly unfair because he's chosen a thing for this week that isn't for this week um so uh, uh, I can still choose the two wires for next week and claim the point for this week, but he'll choose something else for next week, which I, of course, won't choose the same thing because I'll have chosen the wires for this week. So I th- I think I'm scuppered on a technicality there, but that's OK. It's because uh, because actually the competition is... Woefully unimportant, and if anybody is is listening to keep score, uh, that's not really the point. But I know that some people will be going. Well, I think uh, I, I think you have to get him to re-record that. I don't know why I, I always give a Doctor Who fan a nasal voice like this. I I should perhaps make um, some documentary about uh, <laughs> Doctor Who because um, uh, I'm so apt to caricature people unfairly. Um, anyway. Look, uh, that is a great scene, but I'll talk about that next week. I stand by my choice of one of the greatest scenes in Doctor Who's history. Um, 
it's a fantastic episode of Doctor Who that this is one of Doctor Who's greatest moments. But remember, um, well, you don't need me to tell you anything, but uh, my my feeling is based on the things that I've thought about watching this episode and based on some of the things going on at, at the moment, um, what other people think about the thing you love doesn't really matter. Um, there's a thing now where I think some Doctor Who fans want to have a go at other Doctor Who fans about how and what they like about Doctor Who. I, I couldn't give a tinker's cuss what anybody else thinks about what I like about Doctor Who. And if you think my choice of uh, what I like about a story or my choice of my interpretation of another story is is a reason to uh, think badly of me, good luck. I can give a flying monkey's what, what you think. Um, and so nor should you. If And, I, you know, so if... if uh, it's really interesting uh, that that uh, uh, I think it's I think we can read all sorts of brilliance into Doctor Who, and I think it's interesting to have intellectual discussions about whether we think uh, 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 an episode of Doctor Who is pushing this agenda or pushing that agenda and all of that sort of thing. But if we come to different conclusions from each other, that doesn't mean anyone's a better or a worse fan. And actually, if you if you even have a hankering to be a better fan than somebody else i think you're quite a ludicrous person um uh because we we create a doc two in our own image um and uh and that does nobody any harm like the actor paul eddington said when they said what uh what did they he want his uh his obituary to be and he said i i he did very little harm and i think that's uh i, I think that's often more valuable than a righteous crusade. I don't know why I've got to... I think it's because I perhaps had a little righteous crusade of my own and I felt bad about it because it's it's actually a spectacular waste of energy, um, even though it felt so important at the time. And all of that came bubbling up when I started talking about it again. But it stopped me from being in a happy time and place, maybe in a grumpy time and place. And this is not what this podcast is called. So therefore, hopefully, having gone for a little segue into Grumpyville, we are now, as we reach the end of this episode, once again in a happy time and place. And they're good places and times to be. Goodbye. And, yeah, it says here, shamelessly plug anything you have coming up or your online presence. Well, I'm on Twitter, and on Twitter I'll be talking about my forthcoming quiz book, Quantic's quite difficult quiz book, which contains, I hope, many, many Doctor Who related rounds, including Doctor Who villain or musical instrument. I'm sure you can guess the crossover there. Thank you, Toby. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock. My special guest this time around is David Quantic, who can be found on Twitter at Quantic and avail yourself of his new book which has been timed to coincide with the release of this podcast no that's the other way around anyway this sort of jiggery pokery would not be possible without the contributions of patrons who include Edward Salt Ashley Knight Stephen Hill Andrew Egan John Ellidge Lee Kremen David Green Simon Coling, Trevor Smith Nathan Martin Hugh Davies Ruben Herfindahl Peter Burns Peter Harness Rob Leonard Stephen Moffat Richard Straw, David Anonymous, Jenny at Blue Box 99, Paul Carrington, Paul Cook, Peter Crocker, Rob Dawson, John Deere, and Chris Dunford Kelk. The music is by Dave Gates, and the podcast artwork by Dylan Patterson. 
you want to hang around in my exclusive bunker for patrons? Well, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. There are tears, not because of the woeful nature of the content, but as in, you know, like a cake. Uh, but they start for as little as £3 a month, and you pretty much get everything there. It's an egalitarian sort of system. System. I'm, uh, I'm pretty ashamed of asking people for money in the first place. So uh, I, I, try not to, I try not to tempt you with, uh, to, to, to put too much value on what I'm tempting you with. Um, but you can also get a 10% discount uh, on even the £3 a month if you sign up for a year. Uh, and, you know, that just means I've got your ears for 365 days. It, it doesn't mean I can, you know, visit your house or come around for Christmas or kidnap any of your relatives. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working on that becoming a thing, but it's frowned upon. Uh, or you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock and just chuck me a few pennies uh, as and when you feel like it. Uh, donations uh, come in from there and they are very much appreciated. But I know that times are tight financially for everybody. And you know what? I really do appreciate the fact that people listen to these and indeed send feedback. But you know what you can do? You can send feedback to Apple or to Podbean or to Spotify or wherever it is you get these podcasts and you can leave a five star rating and perhaps a few lines of review because that just helps to separate this particular Doctor Who podcast from the crowd, the vast crowd of very good Doctor Who podcasts out there. And it just means that some people that might not be aware of these get a chance to listen to them. And I'd like that very much indeed. Thanks. I'm on Twitter at Toby Haydoke. These podcasts have their own feed at Haydoke Podcasts and I have a comedy night called Excess Malarkey that is on in Manchester every Tuesday night at 8pm at the Breadshed. It's also online at twitch.tv forward slash Excess Malarkey live the first Sunday of every month at 8pm but there's an archive of stuff up there as we speak and the live shows stay on site for 14 days so there's usually something out there even if you look you know right now on twitch.tv forward slash excess malarkey that gives a taster of what this award-winning 24 year old comedy club is like i've been doing it half of my life So I couldn't find my keys, right? So I had to look behind the sofa and, uh, you know, stuck my hand in the sofa. And, you know, I, I didn't find my keys, but I found that pen I'd been looking for. Uh, I found a couple of quid. And, and I only found Carvel. That's where it was all this time. A typical. I only found it when I was looking for something else. Anyway, I sent him out on his ear. Told him he was the last survivor of his kind. Didn't look happy. Says he was going to train to be a policeman. And uh, with a particular interest in... Uh, in traffic violations on the Barnet Bypass. Well, I can't see that happening myself.